Alright, if you would turn in your scriptures to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Or if, uh, I think in our bulletin we have it printed out there. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'm going to be reading what you have in your bulletin. And um, and then actually be reading a little bit more. Uh, and I'll, I'll direct this as we do so. This is the Word of God to us this morning. Paul, writing to the church, uh, says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, or Peter, then to the twelve, then He appeared to more than five hundred brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am least of all the apostles, and unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. Dropping down to verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection from the dead? But, if there is no resurrection of the dead then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because, because we testified that God, about God, that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins then also those who have fallen asleep or died in Christ have perished if in Christ we have hope only in this life we are of all people to be most pity but verse 20 in fact Christ has been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep for as by a man came death by a man has come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. Dropping down to verse 29. He says, otherwise, you don't have this in their bulletin, so you might need to just listen. Otherwise, what do people mean, Paul says, by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? Why are we... Paul, speaking about him and others, in danger every hour. I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. Be not deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor as is right, and do not go on sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. 
This is God's holy word. Let's uh, join me in prayer. Lord, take these uh, these truths, these this text, this ancient text, this ancient text um, that is also the revelation of something that was a mystery for ages to all those that became came before Christ. I pray that this morning in this place, you would, by your Spirit, make these things so real that it would transform our thinking, grow us more uh, in our wisdom and understanding of who you are, God, and how you operate, and Jesus Christ, and the story that we are in for all of us, regardless of age, are only in the beginning chapters of our story. Help us to grasp it, and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Corinthians is an uh, interesting book. We're in chapter 15. It, it, I just took some time and I went through the book up to this point. There's a lot of correcting going on. You can look in Acts and you can see that uh, the history of Paul coming to the church in Corinth. And he actually stayed there for a year and a half. I mean, the thing about having Paul as your preacher for a year and a half. And he taught regularly besides his, his tent-making activity. So they had a lot of information. He formed a church there. He continued traveling on. He's heard he's gotten feedback from them. He's had some of his uh, followers go and minister there, and he's gotten feedback. And things aren't all well in that church, as things aren't all well in any church. Uh, we can see some of the issues. And we know that they wrote, or they carried the messengers that came back and reported to Paul carried some issues that the church had questions with because multiple time in this text Paul will say uh, now considering what you asked about spiritual gifts now considering what you asked about the supper now considering what you asked about singleness and marriage so we know that they were saying hey Paul fill us in here because one interesting aspect historically is that first Corinthians was written before any of the gospels they couldn't, Paul couldn't say, hey, turn to Mark chapter 15, verse 2, and, and, and they'll tell you. They didn't have that. They had the word of God and the testimony of the apostles and the other disciples, and then the Old Testament scriptures, which through the Holy Spirit could give clarity. But there's a lot of things they didn't have right. Chapters 1 through 4, he's constantly correcting them. Um, what is the source of faith? What's the tool of faith, the gospel? Um, does it matter who baptizes you? He's correcting them and, and calling them to uh, grace. In chapters 5 through 8, he's addressing issues of sexual immorality in the church. He's addressed, addressing issues of uh, corruption among the saints, addressing issues of singleness and marriage. Uh, he constantly is reiterating his uh, apostleship and his authority because even though he was their father in the faith, Others had come in and say, listen, Paul's old school. I, I've got the spirit now. And so Paul's constantly reminding them, listen, I fathered you in this. Um, and then you come to chapter 15, and there's only 16 verses here, and he addresses this. He addresses the issue of the resurrection of the body. Resurrection of Christ and resurrection of us and what that's going to look like. You know, when we put something at the end, a lot of times there's a, a good reason for it. One, because it's, hey, get all this. I want to answer your questions about marriage and about uh, cleanliness and sexual morality. But if you don't have this, none of that matters. It's, it's where you put the weighty things. 
in a sermon, one one of the, the the most meaty aspects sometimes is the conclusion of the sermon when they're wrapping it up. And this is this is Paul talking about something that is very essential, and that happens to be the resurrection, which is interesting. Uh, your church's OC resurrection, right? I mean, this is essential. But my uh, my, if I was the gambling man, I would say you guys struggle with grasping the resurrection. And I can only say that, and I would only put money in that, because all of us struggle with the idea of the resurrection. It's way down here. You know, you guys have it in your name, so likely you, you have it a little bit more in your context, but most of us, as I said, it's just a, it's a glimmer, it's, it's in the far, it's a forward, it's an appendix in our story of Christianity. But Paul has a very uh, different view. I'm going to go through a, a number of points, and here's... Uh, the big picture that I want us to get is that essential to the way that you and I individually think, you and your own, own brain, think and look about your life as a follower of Jesus Christ, the resurrection needs to be front and center. Along with, up there with the Trinity, salvation only through Jesus Christ. Grace, mercy, sin, judgment. The resurrection is right there. It needs to be there in your understanding personally. Second, the resurrection needs to be an essential aspect to your message of the gospel anytime you share it with somebody. I'm not saying in the very first conversation, but it has to be in there when you're thinking, I want this person to understand the gospel. You've you got to know that you have to include the resurrection in there. And here we'll see why. First point, resurrection is absolutely essential to the gospel. Uh, we look at this in verse 1. Paul says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, what you receive, what you stand. Uh, verse 3, For I delivered to you as of first importance. It, uh, here's, I was sitting in class in Westminster, and usually you can do it in one or three or 25 years. Uh, <laughs> but... When you're a newbie, when you're your first year, you look up to these guys that are in second, third year. And I remember they had some class that were mixed, and the professor asked, you know, where is the clearest picture of the gospel in Scripture? And this third-year guy, he, he says, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, because it's right here. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised the third day, in accordance with the scriptures, and then he appeared to Cephas and the twelve. That is essential facts. I mean, Paul in, in three verses puts the essential components of the gospel and the resurrection that he was raised on the third day. And not just that, the second part has to do with the resurrection too, that he was seen by others. It's of first importance. Why? Because it's the validity of Jesus Christ that he's not just some other Yahoo guy on YouTube that has a bunch of followers and a sharp gimmick. Or he wasn't some wise guy. Romans, when Paul starts his book in Romans, what does he say? He says, listen, Paul, I'm Paul. I'm a servant of Christ Jesus. God called me to this apostleship beforehand um, concerning Jesus, who is descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power by His resurrection from the dead. I mean, His resurrection from the dead is what 
gave him any credence. This is essential to it. We hear this all the time, but guess what? Resurrection doesn't normally happen. It's not a common thing. This is unique. Uh, we all know this verse in Romans 10.9. As we declare to others how easy the gospel is, that it's not through works, it's through faith, we often tell them, brother, sister, consider Romans 9, chapter 10, or chapter 10, verse 9. It says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, believe in your heart what? That God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. I mean, Paul, I mean, little bumper sticker, little Twitter explanation. You want to get the gospel? You've got to believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. How essential is this? Because of the uniqueness, because of the qualifying. Normal people don't just get raised. God has to do this. He puts his stamp on there. Buddha, we have history of Buddha dying. Afterwards, they said, he's gone. There's no, hey, nobody around here saying Buddha rose from the dead. Nobody's saying Muhammad rose from the dead. In the early church, the resurrection of Jesus Christ was front and center. And I had a professor when I was at Bible college say, when you read through Acts, almost in every message is the proclamation that this guy rose from the dead. Uh, Peter in Acts chapter 2 when he's doing Pentecost uh, he's talking about Jesus Christ delivered over according to God's plans but God raised him up when uh, just to beat a dead horse when Paul, God bless you, Paul is in Acts um, and he goes to the Areopagus is that what I said? Areopagus Thank you. Uh, in Athens and he's, and he's preaching to these people that don't know anything about this, but they listen to many different uh, religions and philosophies, it's when he talks about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, they kind of stop him. Whoa, we've never heard that before. And some were interested and had him brought back, and many came to faith. But it, the resurrection stands out. So the resurrection is absolutely essential to the gospel if you want to be biblical, and if you want to be powerful, and if you want to be gospel-centered. Um, not only is it essential to the gospel, it's essential because there's six enormous consequences in the scriptures here uh, if the resurrection of the dead does not happen. We see that in verses uh, 14 and following. Paul says, If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. In vain. It's useless. It's futile. If Christ has not been read, uh, raised from the dead then all of our preaching is useless. How many of us have sat through uh, years of sermons that you could be doing a plethora of other times? That time is wasted. Completely wasted. It's like sitting there watching QVC. If you like QVC, it's something It's like sitting there just doing nothing. It's a wasted amount of time. And my, my, my studying, all my schooling, all the money that goes into paying for your pastors, wasted money. Your faith is in vain. The fact that you have faith in some uh, decomposing body in the Middle East somewhere, it's ridiculous. If the dead aren't raised, then, then this whole thing is wrong. And not only that, but uh, Paul says preachers are even worse because they're misrepresenting God because we, we keep going around saying God raised him from the dead. God raised him from the dead. I mean... 
schools are creating liars. Churches are promoting liars. We're going and telling our friends and our children and praying for people to follow a lie if, Christ, if the dead is not, are not raised. Uh, if, if the dead are not raised, Jesus is not raised. And if Jesus is not raised, worst of all, we are still in our sins, Paul says. Um, uh, Paul says in verse 17, we are still in our sins. I'll touch on that in a second. And he also says, and, and, and here's something awful, uh, those who have died in Christ have perished. They have perished. Um, they're still in their sins. Now, a context that kind of grasps what's going on here, uh, verse 12, Paul says, Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? So, Paul, in his feedback, got back that there's some in the church that's saying there's no resurrection of the dead. They thought, okay, Jesus rose from the dead. That's fine. He's son of God. He's, he, he's something different. He rose from the dead. He was in the grave only three days. I mean, but what about these decomposing bodies and bodies that burn or lost at sea? I, they're not raising the dead. Because in that culture, remember, as I said earlier, the resurrection was not a common idea. What was a common idea is the, the teachings of Plato and the, um, the Stoics, that the body, the material is awful. Who would want a resurrection from the dead? I can't wait to be rid of this human prison. That was their idea. They, they believed in an afterlife, so even the Christians in the church were okay with Jesus rising physically. But we're not going to rise physically. We're going to rise spiritually. Uh, ethereal, I think is the word. You know, there, there's no real... I, who wants this body again? And so they were saying, okay, it's okay if Jesus rose, but we don't have a physical life. And, and Paul is saying... Listen, you don't understand how tied Jesus' resurrection is with our own resurrection. And simply speaking, that's because Jesus was a man. Jesus was a man. They had a category, well, Jesus is, is God and he could rise. But Scripture is very clear, he was a man. He was a man. And God rose him, raised him from the dead. Okay, Scriptures, Hebrew chapter 2 declares this. If the whole reason why we needed Christ to come is because humanity has sinned, you and I have sinned as sons of Adam, and we, we do it every day by ourselves, we are under the judgment of God. Therefore, humanity is under the judgment of God. The gospel is that we, none of us, could redeem ourselves and create a perfect record before this awesome God. So we justly deserved it. God saw that solution by the second person of the Trinity coming into creation and taking on flesh. So Jesus, yes, is fully human, but he's also fully man, like you and I. Human, fully human. Hebrews it is very clear at making this point. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise took part of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power over death. Verse 17, Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Okay, it doesn't help us if God died. And God can't die. But 
and they're thinking, if they're thinking, okay, it's okay for Jesus to die and raise, but he's not like us. That doesn't help our plight. Humanity needs help. Humanity needs help. God didn't have to die. God never sinned. So what the gospel says is Christ did not put off of his godliness. He put on his humanity. And so when Jesus died, a man died. Flesh and blood. This is also in Philippians chapter 2 where it says he put off his... um, He humbled himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death on the cross. Jesus took our same plight. He took our same situation except without sin. And it says in there, uh, propitiation. What is propitiation? This word that's in the Bible. It's, it satisfies God's wrath. God's wrath. I work in Balboa Park and you get to see a, a, a plethora of interesting things. And right across from me is a booth for atheists. And they have big signs up there like, take a deep breath, there's no heaven or hell. You're fine. And this booth is booming. I wish my hot dog cart was as busy as this booth. I mean, all day long. And then I saw this guy walking around yesterday, walking around the park, holding a sign that says, Pray for the atheist, God loves them. And I thought, that's good, you know, and, and that is good. But not exactly the truth in its full eternity. God loves everyone in the sense that He sent His Son into the world. God loves people in that He provides gravity and rain and grass and structure to the world. But there are enemies of God who are not in Christ. And it, it, it is uh, God's wrath is upon them. It's not the devil who's after us. It's God. God has given the devil power to, of death in this world, but only at the hand of God. It's, it's, hell is not because of the devil. It's because of God's wrath poured out on us. His just wrath. Now, God has been gracious through Jesus Christ for us. But propitiation is Jesus had to die. Why? To satisfy God's wrath. God's wrath. And only as a man would it satisfy God's wrath for mankind. So Jesus is our justification. And if if he wasn't a man, then we are still in our sins and... Paul even says, uh, and if those who have fallen asleep, verse 18, in Christ have perished, uh, those who have fallen asleep, those who have died, they have perished. They're still in their sins. God's wrath is poured upon them. So, uh, great-grandmother Louise, who passed away, who was a strong believer, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, if God does not raise the dead, she's perishing right now. She's suffering right now. And sometimes... Uh, we don't get the power of the resurrection until sometimes we focus upon the, the, the evilness of hell. Scripture declares that hell is a, a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth and it's torment and it's evil. And um, Here's a picture of it. Last night, I, after I'm done serving, I'm, I go to my 
my, my, my place of business where I, I put in my cart and there's other storage units there. And there's this young man, he's probably about 32, 33. He's a Marine vet. I've always noticed that he's been a little off. He has this little hallway. You go in, I have a big roll up garage like this, but on the other side of that pool is a little hallway and inside there they have like little closets for storage unit. And he's always, his name is Joshua, he's always over there and he's just been off. Our conversations over the last two months have been a little off. And I go over there and I see him in there and I can tell he's kind of in the drugs or I wasn't quite sure. And there's Joshua, I hear weeping, you're sobbing. And I come up, I always give him a couple waters or if I have a hot dog, something like that. And I go over there and, and he's on the ground and, and he's got this big band. I said, Josh, what's going on? Are you okay? What, what, what can I do, brother? And I shared the gospel with him a couple of times, and he's basically said, that's cool, I'm just a good person, no thank you. Joshua's sitting there, and he's got a big bandage on his neck. He said, well, my girlfriend, and I know the story, he's been kicked out um, from his girlfriend. His girlfriend's dog had scabies and laid on his pillow, and he laid on the pillow too, so he's got scabies on the back of his neck. And I'm a veteran, he's a veteran, he can't get into the VA to get help, and they've been having trouble. And he's telling me this, and all, and all he says, dude, I want to show you it. And, and I'm just like, I, I don't want to see it. And he pulls it off, and from here to here, all the way down here is raw, like third-degree burn. I think, Josh, don't, what are you doing? you got to go to the hospital. you got to go here. And you got, his stuff is all over. I've seen Joshua punch walls. He's got some serious issues going on. So I'm, I'm keep, keep my distance a little bit. And he starts, he, he's touching it with his hand. And Joshua's not really very clean. And he's touching it. I said, Josh, don't touch it. Don't touch it. Like, you're going to get infected. And, and, and uh, I give him some water. And um, then I pack up my truck. And, and I get going. And uh, I just ask him if he needs anything else. And, and, and I don't see him. And I walk around the corner because he's in that hallway again. I'm getting ready to go. Josh is on the ground. And he's got his hands digging in the sore. And pieces of skin are on his shirt. It's a, I'm sorry this is so graphic. I was watching hell. I could see hell now. The personal toy. I started talking to Josh's on crystal meth. That, and it makes sense from what I've seen in the last three months of his deployment. So awful, I called 911 on the way home and had them come. He's back there, and then I start looking up videos. I start to see all the pieces together. That's hell. Hell is the torment where the burning doesn't stop, where, where the anguish doesn't end. And if Christ is not raised, that's our plight, every single one of us. That awful torment that does not end. We're, we're doing it upon ourselves and it's being done to us. So the resurrection is a big deal because if Christ has not been raised, if the resurrection doesn't exist and Christ has not been raised, then we're still in our sins. That's where we're at. Well, so then if the resurrection is that important, how do we, third point, know that it actually is true? See, Paul knew that this was an issue. You and I have been in this situation too, where we, one of our children have had an issue or one of our friends had had an issue, and we're thinking, how do I, I got it, I got it, can't just come straight at it. I got to really talk about this in a way that they're going to get it. Paul in verse 15, just watch, you can see him as a father in the faith, is saying, okay, how do I address this? First, I'm going to remind them that the resurrection is essential to the gospel. You can't have the gospel without the resurrection. Two, I'm going to let them know that this is true. 
And then I'm going to give them all the consequences if the resurrection isn't true. You can see Paul masterfully working through here. So to these believers, he's saying, you've got to know that this is true. Look it. Paul appeared. He even says, uh, there are eyewitnesses. He goes on to, uh, to say that uh, he was raised according to the scripture, verse 6, then he appeared um, uh, to Cephas, to Peter, then he appeared to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. And Paul even goes further. Some of them are still alive. You can go ask them. They didn't all just get together and trip on mushrooms. There's a ton of them that are keeping this story true, and you can go ask them. And then Paul says that last of all, he appeared to me. Eyewitnesses. If there's a car accident and people are arguing against one another, who's at fault? What do you do in court? You get eyewitnesses. Paul is saying in the day, there's people that have seen him alive with their own eyes. If that doesn't work for you, Paul goes on to say, look at my sacrifice. He says this on, in verse 29. Otherwise... What do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead if the dead are not raised at all? And why are people baptized on their behalf? I did not get a chance to study this, but um, that aspect, but just because he says people are being baptized on behalf of the dead, and we don't do that uh, in the Protestant church right now, doesn't mean he was approving of it. He's saying, why are you guys doing this if you don't really believe it's true? I got to study more up on that part, what it means, but... This is verse 30. Why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you. He says, verse 32, What do I gain, humanly speaking, if I fought with beasts in Ephesus, if the dead are not raised? Paul, who was beaten with rods 40 times, or, or, or four or five times, 40 lashes minus one. Let me just take a broomstick to your back once and see how that feels. I heard one pastor talking about it. The, the flesh would be ripped open. The flesh would be ripped open. And it would take like a month to heal. I mean, 40 lashes, this stuff would just be horrific. Okay, so then it takes a couple months to heal. Well, when it happens again, it tears open those old scars. And then when scars heal, okay, it becomes hard and rigid. It doesn't move as well. Well, then it happens again, and now it's just not healing. Four or five times Paul has it. Paul said, did I do this for not? If I really did see Jesus raised from the dead? Would I really suffer harm and wrestle with the beast in Ephesus? These are the pe people that actually hate him. That want his head and his neck. If Christ has not been raised, this is ridiculous. This is ridiculous. So how you may know it's true is these eyewitnesses, uh, Paul's sacrifice, even just the testimony of, of the, the apostles who, if they were writing, the, you know, be well published and sell a lot of books, they certainly did. The Bible is the most published book in history. Uh, you usually don't write yourself as being such a failure and a fearful person. All the apostles were very clear. Peter was stubborn. Uh, John was timid. Uh, Mark ran away and uh, ran away from them. They wrote this because it was true. Now, what made fearful saints, people just like us, reject Jesus when he was on his way to the cross, end up turning around and being so willing to say, he did rise and I will not recant, take off my head? Only if they really saw it, right? Only if they really 
saw it. So we have resurrection is essential to the gospel. There's enormous consequences if the resurrection of the dead is not true. Um, we know it's true by eyewitnesses and Paul's sacrifice. I want to start getting a little bit more towards the application. This is a, a, a major issue in our lives because um, the consequences are hidden and very subtle to us for not, not believing in the resurrection of Christ or our resurrection, but not living by it. It's much like a, the frog pot illustration. You just you warm up a, a, a boiling thing with a frog in it slowly and it won't realize. That's what happens in our life. And Paul tells us the consequence of not having a full, rounded, serious understanding of our resurrection this is what happens, he says in verse 32. If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. If we don't grasp... Now, I think I missed a part as I'm thinking in my head. I think the issue that I'm really trying to grasp is I don't think there's anybody here that would say that we're not going to rise in the dead, that there isn't an afterlife. But I think we don't really believe it in the fullness that it accounts. I believe in health. We all believe in being healthy, right? But how many times do we just sit there and eat things or not exercise? Um, and, and we know it's not right, but we haven't changed because of it, right? We haven't made any differences. We can believe something is true, but it doesn't really impact us. Do we really believe that it's 2021 right now, we all are going to die, in a short period of time, relatively. Spiritually, we're going to be with Christ in heaven until He returns. And then God's going to raise our bodies and then we're going to live forever with bodies. Do you really understand that as we're praying for all these physical things, that now is just a glimpse. We are in the first chapter of eternity if you're in Christ. Like, it doesn't matter if you have to wait in the car line a little bit longer. It doesn't matter if you can't afford a house. It doesn't... Uh, matter if you know you start to lose some of these earthly gifts and abilities it doesn't matter if things don't go your way in the great scheme of things I'm not saying it doesn't matter but it doesn't matter as much as you and I think it matters it shouldn't get our energies and our prayers so focused on, on some of these things it will transform us if we really knew that if I share the gospel with somebody or somebody else gets the gospel good news or if I use my money and my resources to get the gospel out there that will get people to live forever with bodies. Like, get this. As Christ is raised, we too are going to be raised. As Christ had a new body, we are going to have a new body. Paul says, what is sown is perishable. This stuff, what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it's going to be raised a spiritual body. He says, as the first, as naturally we are in, uh, like Adam, we are men and women of the dust, we are going to be men and women of Christ. Like Him. Like, I know decades seem long. Decades are nothing compared to eternity. I know your struggles are real and they're sad and they're awful. My mom just died on Wednesday. I get it and, and I mourn it. But she's in Christ. It's like back in the days before technology and email. 
I won't be able to talk. It's like when I was in the Navy, I go out to sea for six months. I won't see you. I won't talk to you for a while. I'll miss you. I'll look at pictures. My heart will hurt at times. But you're not gone. I will be there. Do we grasp that resurrection? That there's real resurrection in Christ Jesus. Not just for earthly things. Paul says, and I think that's, we are pitied if we don't grasp the further greatness that God brings to all of us. We should, I hope Christ helps us in our earthly things with our earthly issues and such, but man, hold your breath because as Paul says, the trials of now are nothing compared with the goodness to come. So, so all this to say is it's hidden in us. That's between you and God to kind of work out and sit down and say, do, do I really grasp this? Do I really grasp this? How serious this is. I'm turning 40, which is, I know it's nothing. It, it's a pittance compared to Simeon. Me, it feels like a big deal. And for I'm, eight years, my doctor's been saying, your cholesterol's rising, your cholesterol's rising, your cholesterol's rising. I didn't do anything about it. Finally, after a little while, I'm like, okay, I gotta quit going to McDonald's. I love McDonald's. I gotta quit eating six donuts at one time. I gotta exercise. I gotta care about this because I have kids and I need to live for them as much as I can. If I if I die, the Lord will take care of them. But I need to do with it what's in my ability. I've been saying I know exercise is important, but I haven't been living it out. Have we been saying we believe in the resurrection and eternal life and that all this is, is I'm not saying it's not valuable, but it's temporary. It's tools. Your body is a tool. Your bank account is a tool. Your time is a tool. Your voice is a tool. Your gifts are a tool to be used to usher in eternity, to give thanks. You know what? The thing that I'm, not, I'm calling you and me to do is just to believe in it. Just believe in it and then see how God works it out, how it changes how we use everything else. Um. I want to close with two stories. Two stories of kind of what it looks like. And it's, again, I'm not calling you to anything specific. I'm not calling you to live radical lies where you go to Egypt or you know some kind of place. Um, I, living a radical life is doing what you're doing now. Faithfully recognizing that this is truth. Coming to worship every Sunday. The Lord calls you here. Praying, walking in holiness, repenting, loving your neighbor. That's radical. And just ask the Lord, how can I do that better? But it can extend to some pretty radical stuff. Here's two stories from Fox's Book of Martyrs. Uh, the first one takes place, uh, it, it's about a woman um, named Helen. This is in the 1500s, took place in Scotland. A lot of people don't realize it, but the Catholics and the Protestants didn't always get along. And it wasn't always nice, okay? Bloodshed. The uh, Scotland was underneath the, the thumb of England, and England went back and forth between Protestant and Catholic. Well, they came underneath the uh, Catholic rule, and so they started to influence and enforce their views in Scotland. And they came to this town, and in this town there were uh, plenty of Protestants that they called heretics. Well, they happened to only round up seven. One of the seven that they rounded up, um, and the punishment of this was death was this naming woman named Helen. Helen uh, was married to uh, a man and had a, a multiple children. Helen, uh, they come and collect the, 
the seven and they, they take them to the place in which they are going to uh, punish them. Now, realize they can get out of this if they recant. There's nobody stopping them. There's no, hey, this judgment's been carried out. You can't change if you say you're sorry. They can get out. This group of seven, as they were going to their place to be uh, martyred, every one of them was comforting one another and ensuring themselves that they would sup together in the kingdom of heaven that night. Love that word, sup. This old English, sup. They would have supper together that night in the kingdom of God. goes on, the woman desired earnestly to die with her husband, but she uh, was not permitted. Yet, following him to the place of his execution, she gave him comfort, exhorting him to perseverance and patience for Christ's sake, and parting from him with a kiss. She said, Husband, rejoice, for we have lived together many joyful days, but this day in which we must die ought to be the most joyful unto us both, because we must have joy forever. Therefore, I will not bid you good night, for we shall suddenly meet with joy in the kingdom of heaven." The woman after that was taken to a place to be drowned, and although she had a nursing infant, yet this did not move the unmerciful hearts of the enemies. So after she had commended her children to the neighbors of the town, for God's sake, she took the nursing infant and handed it to the nurse, and she shielded up, sealed up the truth by her death. God might not ask a whole bunch from you, but it's not out of His ability and authority to ask everything from us. And it's still not enough. One final story about how this doesn't isn't going to take from us, but it's going to give from us, having this perspective of the resurrection. Dr. Taylor was a pastor of a small congregation in England when the church flipped over, when the uh, church, when England flipped over it and they put in their Roman influences, Dr. Hadley kept his little parish Protestant, even though the surrounding forces uh, were against it. Well, there was a person that was very much against Dr. Dr. Taylor, sorry, um, called in a priest and had a priest go into the sanctuary to perform a service. Dr. Taylor comes to the place and they have the priest performing the service, but there's guards all around with, uh, with, with, with armor. Dr. Taylor comes in and he, he starts uh, cursing at them and, and trying to stop it. And it becomes a, a, a big issue. They end up arresting Dr. Taylor. Uh, again, if he would just recant, they would take it away. He's in prison for two years. The night before his execution, it's finally time. He has dinner with his wife and his children. And then they put a hood over his head and they march him to uh, two towns over in which he is going to be executed. They take him in the middle of the night um, and uh, around the morning the next time, the next day he's going to be executed. They, they, they're walking, and the sheriff who's in charge of this is, it likes Dr. Taylor. He's a good guy. He just has to listen to authority. And he keeps telling Dr. Taylor, recant, recant. That's all you have to do. Just say it, and you'll be fine. Dr. Taylor says, I will not. And they come to this hill. They take off the mask, and they can see the town in which he is going to be martyred in. And the sheriff says, how goes it, sir? And this is what Dr. Taylor reminds, uh, responds. Well, God be praised, good master sheriff. Never better. For I know, uh, for now I know I am almost at home. I lack not just two miles to go, and I am at my father's house. Death is not the end. I had a friend in seminary that has this line, and I stole it. Death is not the end. 
death is the butler that carries us into the presence of God. Saints, if we can grasp that, praise God for that, worship in that, live like that, talk like that, then we're biblical. Then we won't be pitiful. Because it's true. God raises the dead because of Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for Your goodness and mercy to us. Thank You for the truth that has been carried out through the ages, through Your messengers, through Your saints, through mothers to their children, through grandmothers praying for their, uh, their children and grandchildren, for us who have the good news, sharing it with one another. It is by Your Spirit that this continues to happen. It's by Your Spirit that we can come to walk in a way where we know that now is good, now is a blessing to You, and You give good gifts, but now is only temporary. And we, the people, are able to give our all to You, to trust in You, to not be afraid, to glorify You for the good gifts that await us. When we have not only a, a resurrection where we pass immediately into the presence, are made perfect in holiness, but that day when Christ comes, returns and puts death, His last enemy, to death. And then He raises our bodies by His ability. And we live forever with Him. Until that day, Lord, by Your Spirit, strengthen Your church. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.